0: This is John Collins and you're listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name is J-Mac, your host for the evening, with a pot of hummus to my left and a chilled Chardonnay to my right, and my feet rested on my latest Waitrose delivery. Tonight we discuss our latest 2-0 pathetic display against Crystal Phallus and judge what on earth we do from here. Has Renier shown himself to be a fossil of the Jurassic period and can life uh, find a way for our beloved Fulham when this season is all but done? But first, thanks to John Collins for introducing the show. The Scot made 79 appearances for the Whites, scoring four goals, scroomed into the art of total football at Monaco under Tigana. Collins signed for Fulham in 2001 to reunite with the Frenchman, acting as a bridge between the players and management, thanks to his fluent French. John Collins's role on and off the pitch during the unforgettable 2001 promotion should never be underestimated, also helping Fulham establish themselves in the Premier League before retiring in 2003. You'll be pleased to know that Fulham Focus have a Q&A coming out soon with John, looking back at the successful Fulham career that he had. But for now, John Collins, we salute you. All right, Mr. Beauclerc is back and Mr. Reese is- are with me. Let's go. Fulham. All right, guys, uh, we all saw it and a couple of us were there. The lineup, I mean, five at the back seemed... Was that sensible or stupid? I mean, we had Kearney on the right. I mean, I, I just don't know what was going on. Claudio seemed to be trying to do a mixture of what went well at Brighton, but also quite careful against a Hodgson side at home. Mr. McClare, welcome back. What were your thoughts when you saw that opening line-up, Nick?
2: Do you know, I, I really, I get so bored of talking about formations. I, I yeah. don't care what the formation was. I really don't care. I don't care whether it was five at the back, four at the back. All these formations, they're, they're designed to work. They're tried and tested formations and they have worked in the past. So, you know, whatever formation we play, it's down to the players to to implement it and pull their fingers out and, and really get something going. You, you know me, I've I've always harked back to the good old days, but I, I remember the Kevin Keegan season when we did play with wing-backs. Keegan was renowned for playing with five at the back. Um, but it's, it's an attacking formation when you want it to be and you have your full-backs bombing forward. Um, and to, I guess in order to do it, you you need to have decent fullbacks. And uh, I think we'll probably come on to Cyrus Christie later on. He's he's not been brilliant for us, but you know, five at the back should work, and it can work for us. Uh, but obviously, it didn't at the weekend. But I, I I don't necessarily put the bad performance down to to the formation. I put it down to the the players' attitudes actually.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I and mean, you know what? Five at the back seemed seemed to work for the, for the for the you know for the first twenty minutes or so. I mean, Mr. Reese, hello. And what, what, what were your thoughts when you saw the opening lineup, mate?
0: Well, I'd just like to take issue with what Mr. Beclair said to staff. Not meaning too. to be confrontational, in any way, but You're talking about formations and all this sort of stuff. Surely one of the most important things that we've learned throughout this whole thing, during during this whole chopping and changing, is surely if if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So when we went in that second half against Brighton, surely the first thing in Claudio Ranieri's mind has got to be, right, this side scored four goals in the space of 45 minutes against Brighton. Crystal Palace are not exactly worlds apart from Brighton. They may be better, but they're not worlds apart better than uh, than Brighton. So surely it's got to be a case of stick with stick with what got you here in the first place. And if he had done, if he'd have done that, I don't think anyone would have complained. Even if we'd still have lost, everyone would have gone on would have gone behind and say, "Well, this method worked. It, it worked against Brighton." You know, why not at least try it the same way The same way against Crystal Palace? You know, you have this winning formula, stick with it.
2: Come on, though. It's not a winning formula. We've been shit all season. It was a win. Regardless. It
0: was a win, though.
2: It was a win. It was a win. And we played well against Brighton, but we played well for 45 minutes. Kearney came on for Ream after about 20 minutes of that game. And we were still shocking for the rest of the first half. So it's not like you you play that formation and you get this magic winning formula. I think we just we had a really good match. We had a really good second half against Brighton in the week. But lo and behold, we can't take it into the next match.
0: But but you want to at least try and carry it on into the next match. Surely it should be right. This worked against it worked against them. Let's see if it worked against them. Not completely scrap the whole the whole thing that got you there. It's like it will be it will be like like Roy Roy Hodgson. Speaking of Crystal Palace, Roy Hodgson. When we went into the Europa League final in 2010, it was still four four one one. It that system worked throughout the whole season. I know I'm using whole season against one game, but it was still the same formula that got us to, that you know, was winning that season, you, you wouldn't have then expected Roy Hodgson to go, right, let's go, let's go, let's go 4-3-3 in the final against Atletico Madrid. You know, this works, this shows that it works. Why not stick with it? I just don't understand why Claudio Ranieri would change something that clearly worked.
2: So, for me, Ranieri was brought in, right, as somebody who needed to sort out our defence. We were shipping goals under Djukanovic, left, right and centre. We had no organisation whatsoever. Ranieri's come in and he's made us more organised. I I can see that. I I think we do look more organised. Players know what they should be doing more so than than they did previously. But (laughs) Ranieri was brought in to sort out the defence and... It, whether he's done that or not, you know, you, you could argue the toss over that. We, we have conceded less goals in more games under Ranieri than we did under, under Slav. But, you know, we're starting out games in a more defensive manner because we need to. We, we have to start out defensively. And then as the game goes on and the confidence grows, then we try and go for the jugular, which is what I think we did against Brighton. Yeah.
0: yeah, but but even so, you may say that we look more, we may look more organised, but we're still, sh- we're still shipping goals: yeah, two agreed. against Burnley, two against Brighton, two against Crystal Palace. And I know it's not all down to Claudio Ranieri. I mean, we're, I'm sure we're going to discuss the cons and the whole transfer situation later, but there is a little bit of. He's, he has his hands tied behind his back to some extent. So I don't want to completely blame Ranieri, but at the same time, he should be able to at least work with within the parameters of what of what he's got. And yes, Alfie Mawson has been injured, but surely this guy who is you know, I, I mentioned I mentioned this last week. In his first ever press conference, he said he's Italian. He wants to the first thing we should focus on is keeping a clean sheet and work from there. Even then, he can't work that. Surely the first thing should be, you know, working on the defence. You know, hour after hour after hour. Even if even if it means working till one o'clock in the morning and working through candlelight. Surely it's got to be working on the defence. And it's shown that he just talking about Jurassic Park, Maybe maybe when he the stuff he did with Leicester was his peak, and now it's just. Now he's just become, you know, this, this I don't want to say you know, thing of the past, but, you know, similar to Jose Mourinho, his style just isn't quite there. It, the way way, the way he wants to play just doesn't work now and doesn't work for a struggling team. It might work for a mid-table team, but it doesn't work for a struggling team.
1: Well, maybe. And like, that's the whole reason we're having this sort of Jurassic Park sort of debate. Because, I mean, is he is he past it now? Is he just a relic of sort of like, you know managers long gone but what I like to think is actually I think we're not looking at this maybe generously enough because I think I think personally that Ranieri was trying to be clever and it just didn't what what happened was I think he noticed that we were a completely different team in the second half against Brighton once Kearney came on so he thought right we'll we'll get Kearney to start I still want to do five at the back. But what he didn't realize was, or what he hasn't actually really noticed very well, is that Kearney cannot play on the right-hand side. So we did a bastardized sort of version of it, and it just didn't pull off. But then again, that plan sort of worked. We were playing well. And then what happened was, you talk about what Ranieri, his tactics, and his defensive drilling into the team, but you just cannot fix crappy, annoying individual errors. and. Q Cyrus Christie with the handball. I mean, like we don't need to talk about much in this game because it was just there to see once again. It was another individual error. I mean, what the fuck? What the fuck is what is Cyrus Christie doing, Matt McClare?
2: Yes, I mean, on another day, if your luck goes, uh, if if luck goes your way, then both those players, both him and Benteke, have got their arms up in the air. And on another day, it hits Benteke's arm, um, and we don't talk about it. Hmm. But you talk about luck on the day as well. You think um, that Mitrovic header, which, you know, nine times out of 10, you'd expect him to stick that in the bottom corner. And of course, the other day, he's put it wide. If that goes in. Then we're probably not even talking about the formation either, because from 1 0, it's a completely different game if we're 1 0 up.
1: Sure, sure.
2: And I mean, so it's margins, it's fine margins, and it's bloody frustrating, fine margins that. Uh, all, all these topics kind of get blown completely out of proportion because, you know, like I said, if that goes in, we're 1-0 up, take that into half-time and then maybe go for go for it again in the second half. And, you know, we could we could come out quite handsome winners. But as it was, that doesn't go in. We make a stupid mistake, give away a penalty, and then your backs are against the wall. And everyone's saying, well, we shouldn't have played five at the back. And, you know, it, I just yeah. find it really frustrating and quite, yeah.
1: Brilliant. No, I, I completely get it. But, I mean, when it comes to Cyrus, I mean, he was having... A pretty terrible game against Brighton as well some good crosses every now and then but I mean the fans were getting really frustrated with him I mean Mr. Reese, do you think this is it for Cyrus now for at least you know a few games I mean is it is it time for Stephen Sessegnon to step up or maybe we'll talk about mentor in a minute but I don't want to but what are your thoughts on Cyrus from now?
0: Well, I'm glad you gave the gave the mention of Stefan Sessio because God knows we didn't exactly address the right-back situation in, in January unless the grand scheme is to have uh, Markovic play right-wing back, which I think Brendan mm-hmm. Rodgers tried with uh, at Liverpool, but I don't think it ever quite worked. Um, and again, I don't want to sort of preempt uh what we're going to be talking about in the future. But if we are to accept that we are down and relegated, which I was a couple of months ago, then yes, by all means start looking to start looking towards the future. And let's see if Steven if Cessignon, uh, you know, sink or swim. Let's see what let's see what he's got about him. And there is sort of this grand idea I'm sure that most full fans will have of right wing back Steven Cessignon, left wing back Ryan Cessignon. Just having two Cessignons running down the wing and be like a Graham uh, mass you know hallelujah, our academy's doing something sort of thing moment, so at this at this point of stage, yeah, I mean you can 't exactly put Fossi Mensah in because we tried to get rid of him in January, clearly he's not wanted, clearly he i don 't think he really wants to be here either, and you don 't want to play someone who doesn 't want to be here because you never know if their heart or mind is in uh, the right place, and I'm looking at you, Andre Scherler, when I say that.
2: What's he doing there? (laughs) Is he in your house? (laughs) I hope the foot gets better soon. Listen, I I, I think it's it's a beautiful idea having Sess and Sess on either side. But what we've been crying out for all season is Premier League experience to get us out of this mess. So we can't now say, "Oh, oh, over to you then, Steve. Come on, no, get us out of it. It's, I mean, it's a it's a lovely idea, and I'd love him to be in the first team one day. I, I was at the Sampdoria friendly in order shot in the summer, and and he looked excellent. But it it would just be chucking him in front of the bus, putting him in the team at the moment. It really would.
1: Yeah, fair enough. But look, after that penalty, though, I mean, like our heads were dropped and they weren't coming back up. There was just absolutely no sign of doing what we did against Brighton and becoming a different team in the second half. I mean, th- there were some players like Babel, for instance, looks out of form already. I know that's a bit dramatic. It's only his second game that I've seen him playing. But I mean, but also what's weird is against Brighton, Seri and Kenny looked really good together. And that was something that took ages to actually happen. And, you know, but once again, they looked awful together. Could someone please tell me why they think that is? Because I I, I thought it was actually... They finally had gelled after the Brighton game.
2: No, not really. Not really. I no. mean... I... I think um, I think Kearney and Serry are both excellent players. And it's, it's the, the age-old, can Lampard and Gerrard play in the same England team debate, isn't it? Two good midfielders should be out of function next to each other. They did against Brighton. But you can't pinpoint anything on Kearney and Serry for, for the performance on, on Saturday. Or rather, you can't just blame them. I think collectively, the team were awful. We never really looked like scoring, apart from that Mitrovic chance that we mentioned. And I don't think we had any shots on target. And and I'm I'm a firm believer that our best players, so people like Kearney, Seri, Mitrovic, even Scherler when he's playing, they're the ones that need to need to lead us. They need to dig in. They need to consistently be given their best performances week in week out to drag the best performances out of the rest of the team. Um, and nobody's been doing that this season, and therein lies the problem.
1: Yeah, and just from from basically the second half onwards, Ranieri brings on Vietto instead of Tim Ream who he likes to, seems to be using as a pretty pretty big old slap of meat at the moment, pressing it down. Because, <laughs> I mean, just Tim Ring just getting subbed on at 45 minutes seems to be just so disheartening for him and just also for us because it's not the player we once had. But Vieto comes on and it just didn't work. You know, it didn't work the same way it did at the Brighton second half, which is a complete shame, obviously. But then, you know... We just we just couldn't get back into it. We just could not get back into it. We were blunt. We looked disinterested. There was no fight at all. You know, benteki almost... Was it Benteki almost scored a like a bicycle kick that hit the crossbar? Was it Benteki who did that? Or was that Bakari Sacco? Yeah,
2: no, it was Benteki
1: Oh, my God. I mean, you know you're in trouble if he's doing stuff like that. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I mean, the man's, the man's a tank. Anyway, their second goal, you know, who the hell is... I mean, you know, who who is... Organising this team, who is organising the marking of Schlupp for the rebound of like uh, Bashuai? It just doesn't make any sense to me at all. I, I mean, I
0: think we've said I think we've said this countless times. Sorry to interrupt, but I think we've said this countless times. There is a lack of leadership on the pitch, and there is yeah. a lack there is a lack of someone because. Kenny started as so a Kenny took the armband, but in recent times it's been Mitrovic with the armband. And I've never been a fan of uh, forwards. I've never been a fan of forwards taking the armband. Brian McBride, the obvious exception. But I, there is a pure lack of leadership and just a general sense of s- someone telling other people that they need to do their job. There is clear lack. And if, you know, if it needs to be uh, a centre-half, so just give it to someone. Who is probably going to be in a position of power and authority? So even if it's just a mindset, it just gives them the idea of right. You should be picking up. You should be picking up. You should be picking up. Rather than just, well, I'm just another player on the pitch. I don't have to. I don't have to do anything. I'll wait for Tom Kearney to tell me to track Jeffrey Schlup into the box. Whereas it should be me that says, "No, Shot, mm. you you track him back" or something like that. The, the whole thing is just a complete and utter shambles and well i i've i've said i've said no no more than i think any Fulham fan has probably said on the matter but I, it just needs to be said one more time
1: no sure and uh, let's let's keep digging uh ranieri's poor substitutions i mean look bcle you've been saying you know that ranieri is like you said 12 games we need to be not as harsh in him as we are but you know when christie came on uh, when christie came off in the 62nd minute for fosu mensa i mean christie for all i could see was pretty i mean he could have been pretending because he was just getting such such i mean he, he looked like completely sick to the bone after his handball and then just all all the fans were on his back he looked like he just didn't want to be on the pitch for very long after that but um when Fons, fosu mensa came on you were there with, uh, with me i mean he'd looked he's obviously playing very carefully now fosu mensa because he doesn't want to make any mistakes but he just wasn't we were we just weren't wasn't getting forward or doing anything exciting at all, was he? I mean what what do you think about Bossumenso and do you do you actually t- blame him? Because there's a lot of blame going on from our fan base of him hijacking our transfer window, which I think is a little bit harsh, but maybe there is some sort of I don't know.
2: God no. God no. Yeah. I, God, that's absolutely ludicrous. You read some absolute nonsense online. I I try and I try and not read it, but sometimes you find yourself scrolling through Twitter just Open mm. mouth, shaking your head in disbelief at what absolute bullshit people can come up with. Much much like the three of us are doing now, to be honest. But anyway, <laughs> um, so Fosu for Mensah, uh, when was his last game? Anyone remember? What was it? October? Can't remember. He's been out of the team for four months. What are you expecting? Come on, we're, we're a goal down in a key game. Stick you on it right back after four months out of the team. Go and do something. And then at the end of the game, well, he didn't do anything. He must be rubbish. It's, oh, my God, it's so frustrating. He's obviously a good player. He's at Manchester United, for goodness sake. They seem to like him. They're fans. They were were quite happy to have him back at one point. And the, the problem here is you've got a player who we clearly didn't want. Ranieri stated publicly he can go back. Then United have said, well, if you, want him to, if you want to get rid of him, you've got to find a new home for him. So it's obviously going to leave quite a bad taste in the mouth. So meanwhile, he's, he's trying to go about his business and just get on with being a professional footballer. Um, when he gets back in the team, he, he, he didn't really do anything wrong, although he, he, he didn't inspire a, a comeback of any sorts, which, like I said, I, I didn't expect him to. And all of a sudden, now he's, he's in the firing line amongst our, our fan base again. It's, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, and Reese. I mean, the whole crowd was singing for Ryan Cessignon, how he was one of our own, pretty much the whole match. And and Ranieri brings on Aite in the 88th minute. I mean, Floyd Aite in the 88th minute, and it was two. I think he came on about ten seconds after Schlepp just scored. What were you, what was going through your head when you saw Aite come on?
0: Um, I. Th- think i to some extent i want to buy into the conspiracy theories that has been going around online which mr Beauclair would have missed out on and i think that claudio ranieri is not a big fan of ryan sessignon and will be a key reason why he leaves us in the summer just because i just because i haven't seen the amount of faith shown in him by claudio ranieri that uh, I'd say previous managers, there's only been one. Sivici Akanovic showed in him. So, yeah, the fact that he chose Floyd Aite, who has proven himself not to be all that at this level, compared to Ryan Session, who's at least showed something. He, he's not He's not been perfect. He's not has been, he, though?
2: Has he, though?
0: I was, I was just getting on to that. He's not been the exact replica of what we had in the Championship last year, but he's shown himself to, I believe at least, shown himself to be more capable at the Premier League level That Floyd Ayute has.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair point. But uh, with with Sess, I mean, he's one of those players because of what he did last season and because he's been with the club since he's a young lad and the family connections with the club, you want him to do well. You want him to succeed and you want him to be in the team. But looking at the way he's performed this season, he's been no better or no worse than anybody else. And I think he's got to earn his right. He's got to impress the manager. And with his performances on the pitch, he's been bang average this season. I'm sorry to anybody that that upsets, but, you know, it, it upsets me to a certain point because I love the guy. But like I say, I, I don't think he necessarily warrants being being in the team as much as he once did. And I know he's he's still only 18, nearly 19 as well. He's He's still super young and he's, you know he's got years and years ahead of him of, of success, but at the moment, you know, I don't don't necessarily think he's he he warrants being in the team.
1: No, I mean I agree, and I think Cess has been pretty had a very disappointing season so far, to be honest with us. But it was just the crowd singing it, and just Raniere's, you know, just being very. Stubborn to the crowd's wishes, but then again, you know, managers shouldn't always be just listening to what the crowd want. I get that, but are we at a stage now? Because we were talking about, you know, the two Cess on, on either on either wing back position, and I just, you know, that's never going to happen now because Ranieri obviously has no faith in Cess whatsoever. Um, well, not this time anyway. And I just interested to know, you know, has Ranieri is he starting to lose the players? Do you think, Reese? Now is this like a second dressing room lost?
0: I, I, I don't want to speculate too much because we, we, none of us know exactly what's going on behind the training. Um, but to an extent, I think there is just because I just can't see. Maybe, maybe it's not all down to Ranieri. Maybe it's you know just the position that we find ourselves in. But Mitrovic aside, I can't see anyone sort of th- that you would look at and see, right, they're going to put up a fight for the rest of the season. Yeah, you know, none of the none of the defenders, none of the midfielders. We we lost one in Stephanie Hansen, who I who I believe would be up for the fight and wouldn't give in, but we've obviously got rid of him. But to have has he lost the dressing room? I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it came out if it came out that he had.
2: Okay, I I've I think what I'd quite like to do here is is just have a little look a deeper look at what I think the problem may be here um I think there's there's too many people that are, are calling for a change in manager and um and I think it's I think it's quite harsh so I, I don't profess to be an expert any more than the next person but in in my job I'm I'm a service owner and part of my job is to look at the problems facing my service and put them into a priority order to bring the biggest problems to resolution as quickly as possible right Right. so that means i have to have quite a logical brain so i've had a think about this logically and i don't think it's logical to instantly call for a manager who's been at the club 13 games to be sacked when he's inherited all of the problems that are in front of him so if i drew a circle in the middle of that circle um is is going to be the the problem that feeds into everything else within that circle Ie the thing that's in the middle is the root of of everything else, and the root problem for us, I believe, is the the lack of a long term plan around the first team squad. And we've looked for instant success, which we got last season. It was fantastic, but in doing that, we took a punt on loan players who were championship standard, and as soon as we got out the championship, then we ripped that up and demolished that squad, and we started again. So. The the myth that we spent a hundred million in the summer, so should instantly be competitive, is just that it's a myth because that hundred million was just to stand still, just to tread water, because we had to build a squad, and then we we built a squad right up until transfer deadline day, and then that squad was presented to Slav, and he's and basically he was told go on go and do something with that then, and it took him so long to kind of pull that together, and and he never did arguably. And I think we've talked about in the past on this show, promoted teams that are successful build on top of an already successful squad rather than dismantle it. So the next layer along from the root problem, I believe, is our transfer policy. I'd like to see the the club define the style of football that we're associated with first, because we were associated with a certain brand of football under Slav, which worked well in the championship. Um, But then we've gone a completely different direction um, under Ranieri, whether rightly or wrongly. I don't demand that we play like Barcelona. You know, last season was a dream and the way we played was fantastic. But if we're to be associated with a more defensive style, I don't really care. I just I just want a, uh, a side that we can be proud of, right? Right. Then once we've defined our style, I want to see the manager working with an experienced director of football, right? A football man to identify players. If that's to include stats too, then who cares? Whatever. Just... Get some people in who know what they're doing. Um, and those players that we bring in should then be brought in to fit the style that we've previously defined. So when a player is identified, the director of football and the manager both get involved in contract negotiations to sell the club and how that player is going to fit into the club. And then on the edge of that circle, are things like long term injuries and then the manager. So as I said, Ranieri's been here 13 games. Is he the problem? He's not the fucking problem at all. He's not the problem at all. Things run much deeper than that. And he's just the fool guy who's at the front of things at the moment, trying to make some sense of, of, of everything that's going on at the moment. Does that make any sense? Sorry
1: for what yeah, makes sense. no not no, at all. No, that no, makes perfect sense.
0: No, it makes sense. I think it's been an underlying thing for a number of weeks and it has been on the as I mentioned every week, the much wanted to be part of full focus WhatsApp group is there. Does seem to be a general hatred around around the uh, the Khan family. In fact, not so much Shahid. I think Shahid. I think gets pretty much a pass for most things. But I think Tony is getting the most of the most of the anger when it comes towards the owners. And mo- many people seem to think it's him and his transfer uh, philosophy that's uh, the root cause of this. And, you know, everyone talks about his stats-based model and uh, bringing in, um, bringing in you know, other other people whose names I shan't go into for reasons I'm sure most fallen fans know. Yeah, I think Tony Khan seems to be the main problem behind it because, as you mentioned, we sort of took a gamble in the summer as our, we took a gamble in the summer in, right, we're going to spend everything we can to stay up this year rather than, you know, Uh, look at it frugally and fiscally and think, right, we're we're up. But if we go down, it's not going to be a big deal. We can, you know, come back up again straight away or we can at least challenge to come up again we basically went for the right we're staying up no matter what which is where the Slavice, which is why we got rid of your Slovis I believe is because they knew the Slovis Kanovic wasn't going to keep us up if they'd have said from the start you know similar to Bernie who I've talked about many times before right we're going to give this a shot if it doesn't work Fine, we trust in you to get us back up again. But what they basically once we spent 100 million pounds in the summer, they basically said, All right, we need to stay up no matter what, which is why they went for the manager, which is why they went for the managerial change.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a fair point. You're you're absolutely right, and that that 100 million kind of sits around the club's neck like an albatross, doesn't it? And uh, the, the the problem with with Ranieri at the moment is he's not allowed any mistakes we're not entitling him to make any mistakes and he's a human being. He's going to make mistakes, but there's no margin for error. So if he does yeah, make a mistake, i.e., at the weekend like playing five at the back instead of four at the back, if you, if you believe that to be a mistake, why should he pay for it with his job? He's been here five minutes. He's working with what he's got and he's doing, doing his best to make some sense of this absolute shitstorm. And you know, if, and when we get relegated, I'd like to see him stay and I'd like to see him work with a director of football to rebuild the side for him to identify areas where we need to improve within the squad we don't have enough experience we don't have a leader whatever else we don't have that he perceives and he's been around for over 30 years as a football manager he's worked all over the world um and at at all levels as well I don't buy into this oh well he's never managed in the championship what's he going to know about the championship nor of Rafa Benitez nor had Slav nor nor had so many managers that have been successful at that level. And I think he'd be a safe pair of hands if if we went down. And and honestly, if we went down, I'd trust him. If he was in charge of, of signing players, I'd trust him to get us back up. And I think we'd probably be one of the favourites amongst the bookies as well.
1: Well, it's not a bad argument to make because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, Claudio Ranieri wouldn't last five minutes in the championship. But his style isn't too dissimilar to... What, Rafa Benitez? Is that, would that be a fair point to say, Mr. Reese? I mean, is there actually a chance that Claudio Ranieri could stay on for us for a season of the Championship and do well?
0: I'm going to stay away from commenting about Rafa Benitez and Fulham just <laughs> a couple of months ago.
1: Fine, fine. Absolutely fine. All right, well, look, I, I mean, I'm not going to do a Ranieri rating. I think the the verbal exchanges we've said have uh, speak volumes for themselves, really, on where we are at with Ranieri, uh, with Ranieri um, so I'll just actually say it was my first time at Selhurst Park this weekend and I, I was kind of I thought it would be you know a really a really atmospheric, sort of charming sort of uh, stadium to go to and I was a little bit disappointed to be honest maybe mostly by the view because I only got about maybe a quarter from where I was sitting to watch the actual pitch what, what do you think Mr mcclaire about it?
2: yeah um I've, I've been a few times and i've sat near the back and i know i know the view's not great but i, I really like it as a stadium to be honest i think it's really yeah. old school um it's right in the middle of the local community and you've got four stands that are completely different shapes and sizes it's a real mismatch but that's the beauty of it i think i, I think it's a great stadium we made no god no well <laughs> in, in, in actual fact when the second goal went in i started to make my way up the steps and it took me 5 minutes to get out so in effect I I did stay to the end but I was trying to get away but yeah it's an interesting thing we we were chatting earlier today weren't we about whether whether or not you should stay to the end or not because I was I was listening to 606 on on radio 5 earlier today on the podcast and Jason Mohammed and Robbie Savage were talking about whether or not you're a real fan, if you if you don't stay till the end, and Jason Mohammed said only real real fans stay until the end, and then Robbie Savage was more like, no, if if your team's getting hammered and you want to get off, then then get off, and I completely mm. buy into that. I mean, I, I don't have to prove myself as a supporter to anybody. I've been going long enough, and I'm I'm comfortable enough to sit here and admit that if we're getting hammered and and my heart's not in it anymore, and I'm pissed off enough, then then I'll just leave. Um, exactly. And I think that's, is- that's everybody's right to do it.
1: Yeah, and if the players have left early mentally while they're playing the fucking game, then you know I'm going to leave early physically. I uh, think you know it's yeah. my money. I'll do our one, and you know start off if you disagree. Which um, one of you? Which
0: one of you was sat down at the front for Sellers at Sellers Park? Me, I was. So because my my everyone's My funny story: I missed Pai Tim Kasami's goal at Sellers Park because <laughs> uh, I was so low down. Because were you in the front row?
2: No, about row six
0: okay I was in the front row and because you're sort of below pitch level
1: yeah.
0: at that stage down the front I had I, I one of the photographers was in my line of sight
2: oh brilliant and
0: was completely blocked Python blocked Python Kasami's uh, effort so I didn't know just how great it was until I saw it on the replay screen <laughs> so I'm uh. sort of I'll always hold a grudge about Salas Park forever now because they maybe miss out on one of the great Fulham goals.
1: Yeah, I did enjoy it when we started singing Have You Ever Beat You Venice? Have You Fuck Again? It's one of my favourite chants and then we just started (laughs) singing that. Started singing that after we asked Roy to give us a wave. It was great. (laughs) All right. um, Now, all right, guys. we'll, we'll, we'll We'll call it a day here and we'll talk a bit more about the future after we have a bit of quiz to lighten the mood up a little bit. All right. After this. Fulham. And welcome back. Now it's time for the quiz to cheer us all up and if you're playing along at home you can get uh, 27 points each or for my co host they can get 19 points each. All right guys let's do this. Round one. Guess their all-time Premier League appearances ranking. All right. Where do the following former Fulham players rank in the all-time list of Premier League appearances for their whole career? For example... Gareth Barry is ranked in first place with appearances for Aston Villa, Man City and Everton. Ryan Giggs is in second place, etc. The closest guest wins the point. All right, so Paul Konchesky, What rank is Paul Konchesky for his all-time Premier League appearances? And I'll go to you first, Mr. Baclera.
2: I am going to go for 236.
1: 236. All right, and for you, Mr. Rees?
0: uh 75
1: 75 for mr reese you are correct mr reese he is 71st in the ranking paul konczeski with 347 appearances for charlton spurs west ham fulham liverpool and leicester city so that is a point for mr reese and none for mr clare all right and the next one i'll go to you to mr reese danny murphy what ranking is danny murphy for his appearances
0: i think he'll be slightly higher so i shall go for 63.
1: 63 for danny murphy and for you mr butclare
2: oh um let's go for 60.
1: Oh. He was 32nd, so Mr. Beauclerc gets the point for that with 417 appearances for Liverpool, Charlton, Spurs and Fulham. Danny Murphy, very good. So it's one all. All right, number three, Zat Knight. And I'll go to you, Mr.
2: Um, So he played for Fulham and Villa and Mm -hmm. I don't think he played for anyone else. It's going to be quite low. Let's go for, what did I say? The other one, 230. Let's go 236 again.
1: All right, two hundred thirty-six. And for you, Mister Reese,
0: uh, I'm going to go. So i have got to go five hundred and ten. Five hundred and ten,
1: Mister Beauclerc, gets the point for that because that night was hundred and fifty-first. What's he? One hundred fifty-first with two hundred eighty-four appearances for Fulham, Aston Villa, and Bolton Wanderers. The same amount of Premier League appearances as Mario Melchiot and Michael Arteta, or Mikel, whatever. And right, and next one, number four, and I'll go to you for this, Mister. Reece Diomansi Kamara.
0: Oh, now he he played for Portsmouth and West Brom before us. Um, uh, Two hundred and four. Two hundred and
1: four. All right, and for you, Mister Buckland. Two hundred and thirty-six. Two hundred and thirty-six. Two hundred and four. Well, it's he's. Eight hundred and forty-six. So I'm going <laughs> to give a point to Mr. Perclair for that. For hundred and ten appearances for Portsmouth, West Bromwich Albion, and Fulham, and that was the same amount of Premier League appearances as Luis Suarez, Sandro, Thomas Vermaelen, and Jibril Cisse. All right, number five, and I'll go to you, Mr. Reese. Dimitar Berbatov. Name his ranking.
0: Dimitar Berbatov. I don't Dimitar um 237
1: <laughs> 237 okay and for you mr beclair
2: well i would go for 236 but it would seem a bit of a quick <laughs> move wouldn't it going one below so i'm gonna go let's go for um 189
0: well, I was particularly going for the dick move with two hundred and thirty seven, so I wouldn't have I wouldn't have minded you going the other way. <laughs>
1: well, Dimitar Berbatov is two hundred and seventy-first on the list of that. So Reese, you get a point with that. Yeah, with two hundred and twenty-nine appearances for Spurs, Man United, and of course us Fulham. The same amount of Premier League appearances as Mark Pembridge, Patrick Berger, and Gianfranco Zola. All right, that's the end of the first round, guys. With Beauclair on three and Reese on Two. All right. Now we're going to round two, which is head-to-head. All right. And you all get a set each. Now, because you're winning at the moment, Beclair, which set number would you like? Set one or set two? Set one. Set one. All right. In all competitions, who scored more goals for their club? Fulham and Manchester United, respectively. So in all competitions, who scored more goals for their club? Fulham and Manchester United, respectively. All right. Collins-John, or Michael Owen. Collins John. That is correct. Collins Johns scored twenty-three, and Michael Owen only seventeen. All right, and number two is Sean Davis or Darren Fletcher. Uh,
2: Sean Davis. Ah, he didn't get many.
1: No, it's incorrect. Sean Davis scored twenty, and Darren Fletcher scored twenty-four. All right, okay. Malbronk or Teddy Sheringham?
2: Cool, oh, good grief. Um, let's go Steve Malbronk.
1: That is incorrect. Malbronk scored 44 and Teddy Sheringham scored 47. Unlucky there, mate. All right, so that is the set done for you. And for Reese, is the second set. Bobby Zamora or Zlatan Ibrahimović? 20.
0: He got 20, Bobby Zamora. Sl- All competition, Zlatan Ibrahimović.
1: That is incorrect. Bobby Samara scored 37, and it's Tan Ibrahim scored 29. All right, but you've got two more to try and make this up. Andy Johnson versus Carlos Tevez. Carlos Tevez.
0: Was... Carlos Tevez.
1: That is correct. Carlos Tevez scored 34, and Andy Johnson scored 27. All right, you can get one more to be to beat Mr. McLaren in this round. Final one: Breda Hangeland versus Rio Ferdinand. Oh, that's a doozy!
0: Yeah, it oh, took a while. He scored. And in the side, Brad Hangeland.
1: That is correct. Brad Hangeland scored twelve, and Rio Ferdinand only scored eight. Excellent. Okay, so that is it. So Reese is now on four, and Matt Beauclair is on four. It's back. We are back in the game at level pegging. Excellent. All right, round three, back and forth. Name the lineup. When top of the Premier League Manchester United met top of the old Division 1 Fulham at the cottage in the third round of the FA Cup back in January 2001. Tip, it was halfway through the Tagana promotion season and the final score was 1 2 to United. Okay, so yep. I'm going to let you kick this one off, Mr. Reese. Name a player from that starting 11. Mike Taylor. Mike Taylor is on the list. Very good. And you, Mr. McLeod? Debris Fernandez. Debris Fernandez is... Yes, he is on the list. Debris uh, Fernandes is close. on the list. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And for you, Mr. Debris. Next one. Uh,
0: my... Barry
2: Hales.
1: Barry Hales is not on the list. And for you, Mr. McLeod?
2: Steve Finnan.
1: Steve Finnan is on the list. And back to you, Mr. Rees.
2: Um,
0: Louis Beaumorte.
1: Louis Beaumorte is on the list. And to you, Mr. McLean.
2: Rufus Brevitt.
1: He is on the list. And for you, Mr. Reese.
0: Great. Give me some time. I've got to write this all down first. Um, uh, <laughs> Rufus Brevitt, who else? In that time, would have been... Oops, sorry. Uh, Kit Simons. Kit Simmons. I'll go to my grave not knowing how to pronounce it. <laughs>
1: And you're Welsh. It is Kit Simons. Excellent. And for you, Mr McClare? Uh, Lee Clark. Lee Clark is on the list. Excellent. And final guess for you, Mr Rees.
2: Crikey, what
0: position have I got left? Go for the other centre-back. Chris Coleman.
1: Chris Coleman is not on the list. Oh, right after his crash. Yeah
0: know I wasn't 100% sure what time it was, though, and what time it
2: coincided. Uh, oh,
1: well. You have a total of three for that round. And final one from you, Mr. McClare.
2: Oh, it's got to be Melville then, surely.
1: Andy Melville is on the list. That is a whopping five out of five for you, sir. Well done. Well done indeed. And the other ones that you could have got for that were Lee Clark, Nicholas Sarnoon, Bjarni Goldbeck, Louis Saha. None of you mentioned Saha, did you? Nope. You know, oh, it was a cup okay. game.
0: I thought you would have been rusted.
1: No, no, no. All right, guys. All right. So that has basically put it at Buclair with nine points. And, well, that's Reese with seven. All right. Okay. Nine, seven. So this is big now. So, and just so you know, the substitutions for that game were Marcus Hanneman, Alan Nielsen, Paul Trollop, Eddie Lewis, and Andres Stolschers. Andres Stolschers. Excellent. All right, now, final round, guys, which is guess the player. All right, you know how this works. You've got 10 facts, and if you get a certain time between which fact you get, you can get five points if you get fact one or two. You can get four points if you get fact three and four. Three points, five or six, two points, seven or eight, or just one point if you get to nine or ten. So you have to be tactical. Reese. I would try your best to try and just... Hold out and see if you can beat McLean in this one because his is seven nine. There's nothing in it. All right. So fact number one. This player is five foot eleven and a half tall. This player is five foot eleven and a half tall. Fact number two. Fulham were his second English club. Okay. Fact number three. He made eighty eight appearances. Scoring 20 goals. Buzz. Go for Pied it.
0: Good right,
1: I'm going I'm to pause you there. So you could potentially get four points there. All right. Fact number four. Despite only scoring five goals for Fulham in the Premier League, all five came in wins and four of them were winning goals. Fact number five. His first goal came up in the northwest of England against a team we just signed him from.
2: From the Northwest? Well, it's not Helkerson then. No, it ain't.
0: Oh well. No. Oh well, Gabby. Fat, si- <laughs> Fat,
1: yeah. Fat number six, he signed as a free transfer in July 2012. Fat number seven, this player has 43 caps and eight goals for their South American country.
2: Oh, oh no. I think I know oh.
1: who it might be. No, I, don't. I oh, don't. I'll give you number eight then. You're winning. you are won anyway, I think. Well, who knows? fat number eight, he scored the winning goal against Norwich City in our last Premier League victory before relegation in 2014.
2: Oh, it's Hugo Rodiega, isn't yeah.
1: it? I can't tell you. I'm going to keep relaying it out. Number nine, he is the only Colombian to play for Fulham in the Premier League. Fat number 10, we signed him from Wigan Athletic. Yes, indeed. The answer is Hugo Ruddy well done so that is an extra two points for you there Mr. Beauclerc. so that has put you on 11 points to Reese's seven so you have won the prize all right well congratulations and the prize for this week is a special message from the chairman of Bordeaux live hold on one second let me just play it for you hello (laughs) hello (laughs) <laughs> sorry, I've been on the phone to all night. There seems to be a bit of a communication problem. Instead, never mind. What I will do is I will send you a fan Liverpool shirt of uh, Markovic, which um, it has lol written all over it. But I enjoy the Markovic shirt instead. Mate. Never mind. I'm sorry about the communication problem there. Bordeaux, what are they like? Anyway, after, that, after this, we're going to have a bit of a Man United preview. Thank you, and see you in a minute. Fulham. And Welcome back. Now we're just going to talk about Man United TV game. So it's going to be an early kickoff for all those who are traveling. So, you know, some fans I'm reading on Twitter seem to think we have a chance in this game. And I personally think crack cocaine <laughs> is not the answer to your depression with relegation. But I mean, Rhys, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on Man United and how you think we'll line up and what our actual chances are?
0: Well, I don't know if we should really be talking about formations because Mac McClare getting a bit sick of it, isn't
1: he? So, well, no, it's, it's a good point. <laughs>
0: um, no, just in general, I I I don't hold mu- much confidence going into this game. Just shows how much of a difference a year makes. When everyone was so happy and we we could have been anyone on there, we could have been anyone on that day. Whereas now, it definitely isn't the case. Um, I don't know. You could bring back the entire. Uh, your Europa League side from 2010, and they probably put in a better performance than this current side would. So, I don't know. 3 1 Man United with Argo, Argo coming via an own goal, probably by a dodgy back pass. I, don't know. I, re- I really oh, don't yeah. care about this game. I know,
1: I, can I can tell. Honestly. It's so funny. I just don't care. Um, <laughs> Mr. McClair. Do you, do you see uh, I don't know, do you see Markovic or uh, Nordvite making an appearance in this game at all?
2: Yeah, probably. Who knows? Yeah, well. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? But the, the thing is, we've got we've got these four games coming up at home. We've got United, Chelsea, Liverpool and Man City. And really, yeah. you, you you almost write these games off anyway, don't you? So they're not games we have to be targeting for points. But, you know, Crystal Palace was one we should have targeted for points. And what have we got left? 13, 14 games. So we almost need to win half of our remaining games, which means really looking at the likes of Watford away, Southampton away, West Ham away, Leicester away—they're all games we're going to have to start picking up points and, and winning if we're going to if we're going to stay up. Manchester United at home is almost a free hit, so I can see us perhaps playing without as much pressure as we we have done in the last couple of games,
1: hmm.
2: and and having a go at it. And I think I think it will be closer than than a lot of people think. Although United okay. are on something of a, of a revival at the moment, aren't they? And and even when they were even when they were crap before Christmas under Mourinho, they still beat us four one. So it's it's not going to be an easy game, but it's not anything that I'm expecting anything from. Whereas last weekend against Crystal Palace, I did expect something from it, which is why there was so much disappointment. I think.
1: Yeah, and you know, I've seen on Twitter statistically, I think we need to play like a team. In the form of seventh in the table to actually stay up now is it seventh? I mean, it could be. Yeah, six I, th- or I think
2: we need six wins basically. What are we on? Seventeen points, is that right? Um, yeah. And To stay <laughs> up, I think we're probably going to need thirty-seven, thirty-eight. So it's another twenty, twenty-one points. So another seven wins. So there's there's less and less margin for error as the games go by. So it's it's but- it's looking bleak. But you know, you live in hope. Don't give up.
1: I I don't know because you, you I was. Sort of hoping you wouldn't say that because I was just about to just pretty much say, guys, look, it's over, right? <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, I just don't really, I don't see, I just do not see this happening. I don't see a miracle big enough. I think that Brighton, uh, that Crystal Palace game was was asking, begging to be our sort of Man City game from the great escape season, and it just, it just completely. We just didn't. Sh- I just, I don't know how many more hints we need that we're not welcome like, in this. To score two own goals. Against Burnley, when it's just like I don't know how many more hints we need, Reese, what, what what do you see going on here? To be honest, because I don't really think we're going to stay up anymore. Yeah, I, th- I, think, yeah, I think I everyone's think everyone's accepted that.
0: I think we're long past. You know, Matt Becler says, "You know, don't give up." I think many fans are long, are long past that point. If we're being brutally honest. of if- Mm. Give, of of giving up i'd say it's, it's as I've, as i've said many times just sit you know just sit back lie back just watch all the great <laughs> players of the premier league because we're not going to be seeing in front of the 12 24 months uh, come august so yeah, just enjoy it while you can
1: but what do we want from Fulham now just quickly uh, Matt because you were talking about how you'd like to see Ranieri in the championship I mean but the Khan silence has seemed a lot more deafening than usual since the result against Palace I don't know why I mean, I could be completely making stuff up but there is just something in I have this feeling that we're going to see Scott Parker as an interim manager by the end of March or maybe just maybe mid March does that think does anyone think that's a possibility at all not that I want that to happen
0: yeah it's a possibility and I think it's it was probably seen as an inevitability once he was appointed as a sister as a sister manager. We yeah. knew at some point at some point down the line, if this was obviously being groomed to be Scott Parker taking over taking over the managerial job. If I'm being brutally honest, I don't see Scott Parker as a manager. I don't know. I a coach maybe a pundit definitely but as a manager i i just don't see it. he he came across he was a leader on the pitch but he just doesn't seem to be the most talkative or the most quiet because he's not he doesn't exactly have a loud voice so you can't imagine him being the type to be standing on the touchline barking orders he just he just doesn't come across as a manager to me
2: yeah um I don't even want to think about Scott Parker as a manager at the moment because I'm, I'm still a Ranieri fan and and I want this to work with Ranieri. I've I've liked him for, for quite some time, dating back to when he was Chelsea manager actually. And I, I really want to see this work and I still think it can work even if we have to go backwards before we go forwards with him, i.e. relegated and then rebuild. Who knows what, what Scott Parker will be like as a manager. You know, you say you see him as a coach, but he gets all sorts of stick from people who have no idea what his coaching methods are, people don't see him day to day but but they seem to have an opinion on on his ability to coach um yeah. just leave the bloke alone you know he's he's an outstanding professional who's achieved a decent amount in the game, and again he's another one of these people who I think we're quite lucky to have around, although unfortunately his involvement at the club is always tinged with um something bad happening with the club but that that's surely coincidental.
1: yes, it is it's i mean the the whole the hoodoo of surrounding scott parker is not a reason to dislike him in my opinion um i've got nothing against scott parker in the slightest and anyway we're working on the idea that he is becoming interim manager which i completely made up just as i don't know a bit of mid-flight entertainment (laughs) and finally guys just just to go on to one final thing that's pissing us all off about the club uh reese you mentioned on the lovely whatsapp group of we were all going to meet together for pints as a sort of you know oh, screw it, let's all have a drink. Who cares if we're going down for the last game, which is Newcastle at home. And what did you discover for the Newcastle at home prices?
0: Um, the Newcastle at home is £60, which when you compare it to my playoff ticket, which I have in front of me, not framed because I can be bossed to go through the process of that, but uh, stapled to my computer desk, um, my playoff final ticket was £64, whereas Newcastle at home is... In a game where we're probably going to have been relegated already, so it means absolutely nothing. Is sixty pounds? That's I, um, I don't know. If, I don't know whether or not that's the cheapest. guy. I always sit in either the Putney or the Hammer'smith end. I know the prices vary depending on where you are, but where I like to sit, it's sixty pounds. And there's just something incredibly wrong with that. It's not a surprise to us because we've had this all through the year. I think it was £55 pounds to watch Huddersfield. We shouldn't be surprised at this, but at the same time, surely they they would have got – somehow during the season, they would have got the message that the ticket pricing and the ticket structure and the whole loyalty points thing, which I know has been a bit of an issue over the past couple of years, is just needs to be rethought completely. Uh, for Fulham, just because I think they're gonna they're gonna be losing a whole generation of fans if they keep going on this way. I don't. I, it's just something that shouldn't have happened in the Premier League. Instead of spending all the money, all that 100 million pounds on the players, it should probably have been split. You no, know, split half and half, or or not half and half, not 50 million for the fans and whatever, but at least some per side to at least make up the shortfall for ticket prices cause It's just alienating a whole group of fans. A whole group of, yes, you're getting the tourists in, but the fans, your hardcore fans, are being driven away because they just simply can't afford it. And it's just something that next year, whatever division we end up in, more than likely the championship, seriously needs to be addressed.
2: Yeah, I I agree. It's embarrassing that the club these days are treating supporters as a customer rather than, you know, uh, uh, a support for the club and the, you know, with, without people like like us and the people that are listening to this show, the club's nothing, yet we're treated like absolute pieces of shit, really, when it comes to ticket prices. And I, I bought my season ticket last season, uh, sorry, at the end of last season. And I, I think God, no, I paid 500 or something or so for it. And then yeah. all of a sudden, the, the, t- the season tickets were taken off sale. And then when we got promoted, they put them back on sale for a limited period for about 200 quid more. And it's absolutely disgusting. And those people that are responsible for making decisions like that ought to be ashamed of themselves because that's not what this club is about. Yeah, And, well, and, just... if, it, and if it's becoming that, then, you know, it, it's a real bloody shame, to be honest. It really is.
1: Just something to rest another thing for the club's to sort itself out for when we basically crash land back into the championship.
2: Speaking of tickets as well, it's interesting to see today that the um, the tickets for the last of the remaining games were put on sale to mm. to season ticket holders, and Liverpool sold out today. So basically, the the stadium's going to be full of Liverpool supporters. Then,
1: oh, of course, that's, I don't doubt it. Means. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I remember. I remember when we went down thirteen, fourteen, and we got all automated little call—not automated, actually live calls from players like Scott Parker saying thank you for sticking with us yeah. with our season yeah. tickets. I wonder if we'll get Dennis Adoy doing that. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I
2: remember that. That was that was great.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, you was it? <laughs> well, um, you yeah, know, it's a, it's yeah, a nice
2: was, touch, isn't it? It's it's yeah. nicer than it's nicer than finding out that if you want to go and see your shit team play somebody that's going to hammer you, then you've got to pay through the nose for it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, lads, I, I think we can call it a day there, really. And I will say one thing: we haven't actually given a big shout out to our fans for the the walk from Craven Cottage to Selhurst Park, uh, raising awareness for mental illness with the Crystal Palace fans. Uh, that's Probably the only inspiring thing I've seen from our football club as of late, and that's a big well done to them. All right, so we'll we'll, we'll call it a day there. We'll call it a day. Uh, Thank you very much for listening at home. Please subscribe to us. We are on Spotify now as well. We'll be back next week for a reaction to our Man United game. God help us. And so that is all there is to say. It is goodbye from me. That is goodbye from Mr. Beauclerc.
2: Cheers, everyone.
1: And and as goodbye from Mr. Reese
0: yeah cheers everyone thanks for putting up with us and the team
1: yeah (laughs) you (laughs) white see you in a bit Fulham.